Are you under five foot eight and wear men's clothes? Or have someone in your life who does? Ash and Erie make clothes for our big tribe. I'm not gonna say little, because there's so many of us. They've got a selection of nearly everything. I got a black polo shirt and then recently some jeans that I've been told make my butt look really great. Seriously, everything I've gotten fits my body perfectly. Go to ashandeerie.com slash othermen and use the promo code OTHERMEN, one word, for 15% off your order at Ash and Eerie. And trust me, your butt or your knees or whatever you want to look good will look good. I promise you. If you were to just sort of like pick a theme or like, I want to tell a story of somebody who's like a grumpy uncle. Well, obviously it's a rhino, Mark. Ruth Chan is an author and illustrator. She's also one of my favorite people. I dig her work because of how she humanizes animals. And I wanted some guidance on a children's book idea for adults. Okay, it was for the podcast. But either way, I knew Ruth would be the person to ask about finding animal characters dealing with adult issues. I was wondering if you and I can come up with some adult vulnerabilities or anxieties and come up with characters. Ooh, I love it. Single person having to put the duvet cover on. What's the character? A worm. (laughs) The way I visualize it is this poor worm staring down at this duvet on his bed, just being like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Going to a social event and realizing that their ex is going to be there and they will have to engage with them. I would think it would be an elephant. And the X would also be an elephant. They're just like these huge creatures. It's unavoidable to see each other. We went through a bunch of anxieties. I think we got an aardvark, different mountain cats. But I had one idea I was stuck on. Has there ever been a children's book uh, that you know of about phone anxiety, calling someone or just picking up the phone? I mean, there's definitely not really modern ones because uh, people don't talk on the phone anymore. Like I remember one of my books has like an old school landline phone and the editors were like, well, kids might not really know what that is. Does that resonate with you just as an adult, the idea of receiving or making a phone call? Oh, God, I am terrible at talking on the phone. I hate when people call me, and some of my friends know this, but will call me anyway. And so I asked if this adult anxiety of picking up the phone and making a call was a children's book, what animal would be making that call? Maybe a hyena? But the idea of like a hyena sitting and just like, you know, eating a bowl of cereal and then you see him see his phone go off and, you know, it's like his best friend, the, I don't know, cheetah. Um, And he's just like, oh, I don't, yeah. I mean, I have a lot to tell him. I just don't really want to tell him over the phone right now. 
This is Mark Bagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need Someone to Help Them Put on the Duvet Cover. The reason I chatted with Ruth, well, it all started with a phone call. Well, technically before that, I was standing in a lobby in Hollywood waiting for Jason's signs. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good to see you, too. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to the huge building. Jason's a comedian and moved into this huge building recently. It's just like a bunch of, like, 20-year-olds that I'm sure, you know, are YouTube stars. So I just hang by the pool all day, so it's definitely like a, a younger crowd here. But I like it. It's a good building. The main reason for the move wasn't to be closer to YouTube stars. Jason needed somewhere more accessible. A little backstory. I met Jason in 2007 in the DC comedy world, where I was also performing at the time. I'd called Jason a bit of a juggernaut of comedy. He can sing, he can improvise, he's a sketch writer, the stand-up. It was DC, then he went to New York, and then LA, and I'd see updates about shows, sketches, appearances he was making. And then in winter 2018, a really frightening update came in. Jason had had an accident that paralyzed him from the waist down. And the news hit seemingly everywhere in the comedy world. Fundraisers for medical expenses were set up. Really lovely posts about Jason went up from Patton Oswalt to, well, Patton Oswalt said something. Eventually, Jason left the hospital and started anew after this accident. But I didn't even know what had happened. So while I was out in California, I went to go talk to him about it. Jason moved out to L.A. because he saw it as the next step in his career. And he had tons of people out there. In my limited knowledge, Jason knows everyone in comedy. And since the accident, he's been reflecting a lot on the people in his life. I think you only know who your true friends are when things are going bad. And things were going well for most of my life. We got to talking about the accident. Jason was on a date with someone who eventually became his girlfriend. It was the second or third date. And they came back to his place, went up to the roof. It was nighttime. And you could see the Hollywood sign from there. And we leaned up against a skylight, and the skylight broke. And we both fell through. Thankfully, she only got a cut in her head, but I broke uh, my T10 and T11 vertebrae. And um, I haven't been able to walk since that day. So I was in rehab for five months, got out at the end of April, and then moved into here. I'm still doing rehab, outpatient rehab, still doing training, but I'm glad I'm not, you know, in the hospital anymore. While Jason was talking, 
his phone was sitting on the table. And while Jason was telling this story, his phone rang. And I couldn't help but look when it lit up. And I recognized the name and the caller ID. I don't, I don't mean to be too observant. Was that Michael Johnson? Yeah. The Michael Johnson? Our Michael Johnson? Yeah, I was texting him about the Redskins might win a game finally. And uh, he's calling me back, I guess. Let's pause right here for a moment and allow me to tell you about Michael Johnson. Now, I've known Michael for about as long as I've known Jason. But out of the two of them, I'm closer to Michael. On stage, Michael and Jason mutually stole the show in improv, stand-up, and sketch. Michael is a very funny, self-effacing guy and a founding member of an improv trio that included Jason. And the name of this trio, oh, you're going to love this, was Best Friends. Friends, we're excited to perform for you. We're not going to give you a whole bunch of spiel about what improv is. You know what it is. You're ready to have fun. All I need to know from this happy side is a good memory, a good time that you had with your friends. He's doing great, man. Michael's one of the funniest guys I know, and he's just a real nice guy. I did three fundraiser shows when I was still in the hospital. And Michael was one of the hosts of the DC show. But yeah, Mike's one of my, my longest best friends, and he was a big help during that time. I assumed Michael was calling because they just talk on the phone, as friends do. If it's not weird, do you mind calling him? Sure. Yeah, I could call him right now. Yeah, we, we haven't talked in a while. Let me see if I can call him right now. What's up, buddy? Hey, Mike. What's up, dude? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm uh, sitting here doing a podcast with Mark Pagan. You remember him? No, I have no idea who he is. Okay, well, he's a real jerk. Oh, yes, real jerk. <laughs> no, I miss him. How's it going? Hey, Mike. So did the Redskins win? I didn't check the score. Yes, yeah, Wow, so I sit back and listen to these two friends catch up. That's all they, needed. they start talking about the football game. It was uh, the Dolphins went for a two-point conversion with like six seconds left. Oh, so that was the score? They lost by one point? Yep. God, even then. And then Jason segues to the benefit show that Michael was a part of organizing in D.C. So I wanted to, I mean, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Uh, I wanted to say thanks again for hosting my benefit show back in April, man. I hope you had fun. And I'm thinking that was a few months back. Could this be the first time they've talked since the event? But, uh, you know, it was really cool having your, your family there. And after everything was said and done, the thing that came over me was, like, just having, seeing your brother and your dad, like, just knowing that how loved their son is and how important you are to everyone. And more and more, I'm wondering how long it's been since they've actually talked on the phone. There's something very familiar about the rhythm of, uh, let's talk about the game, to here's something sincere. Thanks for you and Pete for, uh, for hosting it, man. That was, that was really special for me. Thanks, dude. You're the best. You're the best. 
Now, joke. And if you ever uh, fall through a skylight and need help, I'll, I'll do the same for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Be my first thought. <laughs> get Jason. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to the how's everyone doing moment in the call with Jason's question here. How's Amy and the kids? Uh, they're good. Um... Confirmed that not only was I listening to something potentially private. You know about Amy and I, right? No, no. What happened? I might be listening to the first time they've been on the phone together since Jason's accident. Oh, we've been we've been separated, I guess, legally now for a year, but kind of kind of two years. Oh, Mike, I'm sorry. uh, Oh, no, it's fine. Michael talked a little bit about what happened in his marriage. And it's like, oh, shit, guys, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. They talked and did the best they could with me listening in with a microphone. There's a bit more football talk and, yay, the Nationals just won the World Series. And then that was it. Okay, Mikey. All right, well, enjoy yourselves. And uh, you guys are missed. And, uh, yeah, have a great time. Jason and I chatted for a little while longer. And I left and thought about this phone call for months. And there was something about it that spoke to my own fear about making and receiving phone calls. So many friends I love, and so many of their phone calls that I've dodged. Because, well, I wasn't sure why, but that buzz of the phone and memories of stilted conversations and the mortuary of messages in my voicemail box replayed in my mind. Two thousand six hundred and seventy-one miles east of Los Angeles and directly under the flight path to and from Dulles Airport, I met Michael very early on a cold December morning in Glen Echo Park near the Maryland-Virginia border. Are you a caller? Do you call people I, these days? I try if I can. Some people, like, you call them and it's like, what are you doing? What's wrong? <laughs> okay, is everything okay? Like, yes, I was just calling. Jason and Michael met and performed comedy back here in the DMV area. They were both incredible performers and worked really well together for a number of years, even if they had very different outlooks on their shows. I remember we did these awful, awful shows in the uh, old comedy spot in the Boston Mall. And it was, uh, we were doing improv heralds on a Sunday evening in that big room. And there would be like five people there. I remember the biggest audience we ever had once was a, was a uh, tour bus of high school kids from Toronto, where the teachers are like, oh, it's probably like Who's Line. Instead, they're like, what is this artsy shit that is under the veil of comedy? 
I remember those shows hurting me to the core afterwards because it, it was like I knew what we were doing wasn't funny. I knew the four people that showed up didn't think it was funny. There was no laughter anywhere. And I'm sitting in the backstage area and Jason's like, come on, buddy, let's go uh, thank the audience for, for coming. And I'm like, what? You know, one thing I always admired about Jason, which I never had, which was like this belief of like, I'm going to go do this. Jason moved to New York City, then California. Michael stayed. He was still performing, writing, and also working at a psych unit, at a hospital, and then a law office. But he was also still in the area because he was starting a family. And even though it was infrequent, Michael would look forward to the holidays when Jason would come to visit. We started having like this tradition. He would come in and kind of like check in and we would hang out in my kitchen for like a few hours and talk and catch up. There was something unique about the last time he had visited where... Everything just kind of felt like I was where I was supposed to be, and he felt like like he was in a good place, and it was like one of those feelings of, this is a special person, this is a good friend. At the end of it, when it was like, let's just do this every year. But a few years ago, when Jason had his accident, these annual visits stopped. They weren't in touch as much, and Michael's life also became very messy. I got laid off. The psych hospital I was working at got bought out and I was unemployed for a little over a year. And then my marriage fell apart. (laughs) It was a stellar year. I was partially sober. One night I was like uh, going back to live with my folks. I was walking out the door and I saw my, my daughter climb up on her mom's lap and it was like so painful and I like shut the door and I was like I'm drinking I'm going and I am finding some roadside place I think I drank for like two months along with getting my hands on anything else I could that piece of just like the family splitting apart I was totally unprepared for uh, that was, without a doubt, one of the hardest things I've, I've ever been through and, and still kind of going through, but I definitely feel like I'm on the other side of that now. Michael is now clean. But that was a rough year. And not updates you're excited to share with one of your best. Well, I wasn't even sure what Michael called Jason now. Who is he to you in terms of like, I don't know if I could say hierarchy of friends or just like, who is he in your life at this point? I mean, he's special. I consider him, you know, one of my best friends and we don't see each other that much. It's been tough, ultimately tougher on Jason than anybody else, but it's, uh, yeah. So, shitty year. One of your best friends has an arguably shittier year. And the one time of the year Michael has to get together and laugh and dig into those deep bonds is now off the table. 
because Jason's in the hospital. Which leads us to what I witnessed at Jason's apartment on that day that Michael tried calling. I'd been in touch over text and email, and we'd tried playing phone tag a few times, but uh, when he called and I picked up and he was, he was with you, that was the first time I'd talked to him since his accident. And for Michael, it wasn't just the pressure of comforting his friend. He didn't know how to share the pain in his own life. The weight of, I don't want to bother this person with my problems. And even though Michael said he calls his friends, he was tongue-tied, searching for those perfect words until the time was right to call. This isn't to say Michael didn't get in touch. He sent messages, but he only felt comfortable sharing his struggles with Jason when he thought that maybe Jason was still on painkillers or didn't have his phone or was in a coma, kind of like opening up into the void. And I remember having like a really rough evening and just being really down and then thinking about where Jason was. I texted him and it was almost like a journal entry. I forget what I exactly said, but it was, um, I was like, I'm going through some shit, man. And I'm thinking about you and you're keeping me going. And like, I just figured he, he wouldn't get it. And he ended up texting me like 10 minutes later. And was like, hey buddy and everything. I was like, oh, hey, hey, hey. And he, he's like, you know, Texas, I'm like, keep going. You're all right. We'll, you know, we'll talk soon. But yeah, that was the first time that we had corresponded. Since you hadn't talked to him on the phone, why did you make that phone call when I was sitting there with Jason? I was on the road and I was like, I, I need to call him and talk to him. And I think that was the impetus. Because other people I, I've known in the past that have had like a catastrophic injury, suddenly they're isolated. For whatever reason, you know, people don't, we don't know how to deal with something like that. And I think I was afraid of that happening with us too. I know for myself, I felt like if I called him, like, you know, it's gotta be perfect. Gotta be, and it's like, no, just call him. I knew this call was harder than it seemed. And I also knew the pressure Michael was probably putting on himself. Just more time would go by. And I know that he's not like sitting over wherever he's living in LA and just being like, all right, Chuck is called and Brian is called. Michael hasn't called still. But I think there is a weird part of me that is like, feels like that. And so I was like, just pick up the phone, dial the number. Say hello. (laughs) And then I witnessed what happens after hello. Do you remember what you guys talked about? I think uh, my marriage came up. I think you said, like, say hello to Amy for me. And I was like, a lot has happened since we've last talked. Less than 15 minutes. Ranging from a few beats about sports to acknowledging Michael's divorce. But Michael called. And that was the reason I wanted to talk to him. Because he made the type of call that I fear. Like when someone close to me is going through something hard, or if I'm struggling, 
I feel like one of Ruth's animals. Like a sweaty turtle staring at his phone, starting to dial, and then stopping and putting my head back into my shell. I don't know what to say. And it's comforting to know that Michael faces the same thing. I needed to hear not the perfect thing or the inspiring speech about how we're going to get through this, man. I needed the beautiful fumbling to know that it's not having the perfect words. It's just the call. People are like, well, how do I engage with this person now? What do I do? Should I have said something? Should I have done enough? Did yeah. I, have I done enough? You just do what you can do, which is like, just call and just get the words out. Hello, how are you? And go from there. After a while, when you don't talk to someone, everything just starts to build. When I was younger, I figured brawn and smooth confidence is what would matter to me when I got older. And now, I find the awkward a bit more heroic. Instead of watching an action movie where the hero is throwing people through windows, I'd rather watch 90 minutes of the phone-phobic action star working up the courage to call his friend who just got out of the hospital. I'm not worrying about having to throw a lot of people through windows these days. doesn't really affect my everyday. But maybe that's me. And maybe that's why Michael has been someone I admired for a long time. While I was sitting in Jason's apartment in Hollywood, a phone call came in that was just the sort of Hollywood hero I wanted to see. And with this phone call that was made, all this reflection... I wondered what they could teach all of us about continuing to get on the phone. Have you guys talked at all since then? No. (laughs) You know what? I know we've at least texted. So uh, everything I've just said is just... uh, You know what? Some of this shit's on Jason, though, too. You know? (laughs) Well, I was there also, and there was a board, and he did check off your name. (laughs) (laughs) So I physically was there to to monitor that. (laughs) I got highlighted for for calling, but I'm not on the good board yet for, like, making a full 15-minute phone call. That's when I get back to true friend status. I I can confirm that, too. (laughs) The good board, your name did not move on to it. About a year after my visit to Jason, I got him and Michael on the phone for a reunion. I think a lot of us are spending more time connecting or thinking about connecting with people on our phone these days. All right, are we all on the call? Yes, we are. Hey, what's up, MJ? One of the big updates was that Jason recently got married quarantine style. I went to a courthouse and I signed, we signed a marriage license on a five-foot pole, <laughs> and, then, and the judge came out. He was wearing a mask. We are wearing a mask. He stood six feet away, and he's like, you guys want to do it? And we're like, hell yeah. And then we took tequila shots in the parking lot, and that, that's how we did it. But the main reason I stayed up to talk to both of them is that I wanted to see if they'd been calling each other. And rightfully, I think, they got on my case about it. I don't know if you're trying to make us feel bad about that, Mark. I don't know what this podcast is about, but... Yeah. You know. Yeah. Hey, we get two friends on the phone and say, Hey, we guys called each other recently. Hey, what's your next podcast? You call my mom. And Jason had a point. What did I expect? That they're on the phone every week now? And it's not like they haven't been keeping in touch. 
Was I also creating a who called list? Mike, correct me if I'm wrong here. You said there's like something in the back of your mind where Jason might have like a, a board up where he's keeping track of who's calling. <laughs> no, I think I was kidding. <laughs> but I then, that, surprisingly, <laughs> that sparked something I, for Jason. Like, my cousins, who I'm pretty close with, never called me after the accident. This, this, it's just it's like that, where it's like, come on, give me a call. Mike, who reached out pretty soon after and, and said he's thinking about me. Sometimes all it takes is just a simple thing like that to keep a relationship going. And I think me and Mike are at this point, well, we're at that point, you know, like we, we, we reach out when we can and that's all that matters, you know? So I think friendship is, is what you put into it for sure. There was some talk about a potential virtual best friends reunion show. They razzed me a little bit more about getting on their case about the call. But if anything, I will take credit for having the phone call solve a recent mystery in their friendship. Jason, I sent you a hat. Do you, did you ever get that? A DC hat? Yeah, and I remember after I that, You're the one who sent that hat. I, your name just wasn't on it. I, like, it, like I, I didn't know who sent it to me. Oh, it's so I funny. Think... <laughs> My, it's so yeah. funny, buddy. I'm so glad you sent it to me. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by Mark Pagan. Our season's lead producer is Caitlin May Burke. And our season producers are Ben Goldberg and Rebecca Seidel. Rebecca is also our lead engineer. Ben and Rebecca were also lead story editors for this episode, with additional story editing help from Sierra Franco. Xochitl Tapia is our intern. Valentina the Pigeon is our production mascot this season. If you want to see how a bird edits, go to our Other Men Need Help Instagram page. Original music this season comes from Fulton Street Music Group, composed by Ed Duran and produced by Alex Fulton. Additional instrumentation comes from Ryan Chamberlain and Liam Moore. Season 3 illustrations done by the talented hands of Carmela Caldart. Special thanks to Pete Bergen, Patrick Gantz, Washington Improv Theater, and of course, Jason and Michael. Jason is still working an uphill battle with medical bills from his accident. If you can help, we have a link to his GoFundMe in the show notes. And Jason also suggested donating to Triumph Foundation, an org that helps those with spinal cord injuries or disorders. If you'd like to learn more, go to triumph-foundation.org or click the link in our show notes. And please take 20 seconds right now to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you take a screenshot and email it to us, we will mail you an Other Men button. You can email us at othermenneedhelp at gmail.com. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. And until then, adios. 
ciao, ciao, pa, a, 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 a. What is your Jason Sines impression of greeting you? Like, what would he say? <laughs> uh, what do I, uh, I picture like he'll have his hands out, like, you know, you know, just out, almost spread eagle, like at a diagonal, and just say, hey, buddy. What is the Michael Johnson greeting? Like, what would he say or do? He'd have a hat on, and he'd come in, and he'd look up, and he'd go, <laughs> how you doing, man? And he'd give me, a, he'd give me a, you know, like a low five. Ha, 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 ha.